0: My wife, Leslie, and I have recently begun to enjoy a show that we stumbled on on Netflix a while back. It's called um, Turn, uh, Washington Spies, maybe some of you caught it. It's an AMC series, and I am uh, I'm a sucker for historical things. It's about the American Revolutionary War period. I just love it. And I get into that kind of stuff, and uh, one of the characters in there is a British soldier Um, who'd come over the battle, the Revolutionary War, the founding time of our nation. And he, uh, many of the soldiers, had to live in uh, the houses, the barracks, if you will, of of the different families, of the colonial families who were sympathetic to the efforts of the British Army. And so this one individual, this one soldier is stuck into this one home where there's a husband, a wife, and a little baby. There's a lot going on, I mean, there's war all around them and there's battles inside the house as well as outside the house. But the soldier finally looks at the the dad, the husband, and says this, he says, there is love here. I know because I know what its absence feels like. I loved that quote, and of course it made me think about where we are on this journey together here at Northland. We are surrounded by a world of people who know what the absence of love feels like. And we have been called by the great God that we have just worshiped together. We have been called to be the type of people that build bridges, bridges of love. And it's a new series that we're in together. And I'm so grateful that you chose to join us, whether you're online or right here in the room at Longwood. Thank you for worshiping with us today. It was about a year ago. Uh, that my uh, family moved over here from the Lake County campus. Uh, I was served out there at Mount Dora, there's some amazing things happening out there still. But part of my role has allowed me to have a great deal of interaction with you. I gotta tell you, I love, my family is feeling more and more knit with this spiritual family as a result. Not just speaking on occasion to you, but the opportunity to shake hands and greet you and welcome you. I'm on this amazing connection greeter team that we have here at Northland. And it goes so much further than just handshakes and, and warm greetings. I get to now when I speak at you, I'm making some eye contact and I recognize some of you. I know some of your stories now. I know a little bit about your, your life because you've, you've started to share it with us. A bunch of weeks ago we set up the tent out here and I know a bunch of you have stopped by and you've been a part of a conversation with us and we've tried to capture a few notes so that we know how most effectively to pray with you or to come alongside and serve you. It's been some great conversations taking place out there, some real conversations. It's as if people are recognizing, I need a place that's safe, I need a place where I can experience love and connection and they're finding it there. A lot of you are receiving phone calls through the week as you hear follow up from us on that. And if you have stories and if you have questions and, and, and steps you wanna take, stop by after any service or before any, any service and we would love to serve you. Amazing team, I love doing life with this crew. Some of the conversations we've been having lately and was just kind of reviewing them this week. We pray through hundreds of conversations in the last two months. We pray through these all the time with you. Like the, the individuals who have come and shared about the painful divorce that they're going through. Other individuals, just a searing conversation that, this, that some are having about some marital failures recently and the, and the pain that it is causing in their marriage. Some coming asking with, Questions of doubts about the faith and uncertainties about their faith. We've got a friend that just in, in May buried his father. I've been connecting with him, I love this guy, and he is wrestling with some valid questions about eternity as a result of all this. That's good questions to be asking. Some of you come and straight up, you're a little bit frustrated you're trying to figure out, man, you guys keep talking about this distributed church, personal church thing. I don't understand it, I don't get it. All I know is I want one of those. I want to get connected. What does that look like? Some great conversations stirring out of that and some great connections being made as a result. Some other ones, I, there was a lady that stopped by a few weeks ago. She's been attending here for over 15 years. She is a small business owner, very successful at it. But she started getting in a conversation with one of our members at the Connect team and she says, I've been here this long, I'm unsure who to even talk to about these issues because no one ever talks to me when I'm here. And she said, there are times I have to admit that even at my church, I feel worthless. Another one just last week, there's some emptinessers who are, there's just some iciness in their marriage right now. And she's having some significant health issues, some significant health concerns. And the thing that she shared was, we just really feel lonely right now. There's that common thread we keep hearing as we have conversations with you. And I tell you, thank you for the trust in that. Uh, Those are are raw moments that we take as gifts and it gives us that opportunity to be a place where love is present and to come alongside and journey with you and get you in connection with others who wanna journey with you. One of the questions we actually ask often after these kind of conversations, maybe you've been asked it is, when you're going through this, you're, you're facing this part of your journey, who is it here that you're in community with? Who, who do you have relationships with here at Northland? So let me give you a quick multiple choice. Um, a, the most frequent answer that we hear. A, no one. B, I don't have anybody. C, I'm not really in community with anyone. Or D, all of the above. Yeah, sadly, what we're experiencing, and my guess is many of you experience, is that when we face some of these dilemmas and these pains and these trials in life, we aren't in community with others. We're journeying through these things alone, and that's challenging. It's a lonely place to be. There's an actress back in the 50s, I think it was, Ellen Burstein, some of you would remember her name. I, I came across, somebody sent me this quote not too long ago, and I was just perplexed by it. She says this, what a lovely surprise to finally discover how unlonely being alone can be. What a lovely surprise to finally discover how unlonely being alone can be. Really? I mean, I get it for like the afternoon at the beach when you want to read a book in solitude all along yourself. You know, I get that. But being alone, how wonderful that can be when you're going through all the dilemmas and all the trials and all the pain and the heartache and the secret things that sometimes we hide. When we're going through that, being alone, no in fact more and more when we're having conversations together and we're having interactions, we're recognizing that there is this common ache for community. Either people are finding joy in community here at Northland, or they're finding a common ache for community with each other. Somebody to just be with me, and somebody that I can be with through this journey. And so maybe you're feeling that way as well. My question this morning, we wanna be bridge builders. How do we begin the bridge building right in here? What are the barriers that get in our way and cause us uh, to, to have fear or trepidation or stop when it comes to really getting into spiritual family together? My little guy, I got a little eight year old named Garrett, and in our home we love. I, I'm competitive, he's competitive. He's just gotten in this phase where he loves playing the we. You guys know what a Wii is? Some of you have the Wii. I'm kind of old school on that. I know it's not Atari old school, but there's some of these newer game systems. I'm getting old, I can't get more than about three buttons and I just like the thing that you can just wave the wand around, you know, and you can. So we have a great time. And so recently he's started to kind of challenge me. He's trying to get a little more competitive with me. And like every good dad, my dad taught me, you never let your child win. And so I never let him win. If he's gonna beat me, it's him beating me. And every once in a while he does, but for the most part I've still got the upper hand on it, right? Some of the ones, we don't get into the fancy games on the Wii either, we get into the Wii sports. I mean, it's the basic one that comes with a system. And so uh, one of our favorites lately has been tennis. And I mean, I love it. I don't know how exactly you get the, you feel like a superstar when you put this wand in your hand. If you've ever, I mean, it's just amazing. And we throw up and we get wham, the, the pin. I love having a, an ace and, and just crushing and just kind of whoo, what's up? You know, just, we, we like to just kind of have fun with that. Another one that he absolutely loves for some for right now. And for some reason he loves it. I don't know why, because I crush him in it every time. What's up, is baseball. And when you just stand here, and you got this dumb water, I mean, you feel like Babe Ruth up there, and just wham, and you're smacking home run, and you're just loving it, you know, it's, it's awesome. And, and what happens on the Wii Sports, if you've ever played it, you've seen in there, there's this little gauge at the end, and it kind of gauges how good you are at the game. And there's this pro status that you can achieve. Let me just kind of toot my own horn. I'm pro status on every one of these levels. And Garrett started to realize that. He, he's like, dad, You're a pro on baseball, well, no wonder. Dad, you're a pro on tennis, well, no wonder. Dad, I bet you're a pro at every sport in the world, aren't you? Friends, that's one of those just drop the mic and walk away moments as a dad. You have succeeded, you have won. You're a hero in your son's eyes, right? Because every one of us want that. Every one of us want our children to look at us and think that we have the capacity to just conquer the world. We've got it together. Here's the thing, though. Deep inside each of us, there's that question that begins to to kind of percolate, what happens when he finds out that I don't have it all together? What happens when he finds out that not only am I not a pro at any of these sports or any of the sports in the world, I don't feel like I'm a pro at very many things at all in life. And not only what, what happens when Garrett finds that out, but what happens when everybody around me finds that out? that I don't have all these together perfections like maybe some people want to think. The mask starts to show some cracks and they really see through that. So I want to do something real quick. I want to take a pause, because I want to relieve some, some tension for some of the people in the room and maybe online that are looking at this tag hanging under my jacket here. And, and you're, just, you're just squirming, and you haven't heard anything I've said for the last couple minutes awesome let me ask you a quick question as some of you have seen it how many of you have wanted to just come up and help me please oh i love you thank you so much how many of you have just had fun laughing at me thinking what an idiot yeah you can go ahead and leave right now Um, we're done with you today you're not getting this at all no i know it's there and here's the thing every one of us in our life Actually, the reason it's there is because time has been kind of tough, by the way. I was going to tell you that. And so I'm all weekend long, I'm hoping to return this jacket on Tuesday. No. Every one of us have these hanging tags. They, we have these hidden price tags in our life. You ever see somebody who's got pepper in their teeth and you just get like, oh man, I can't. Pe-. You realize, I don't know what else to do right now. You know? Or they got a booger in their nose. I mean, that's even, it's like, I don't, Yes, I don't hear what you're talking about anymore, but you're just kinda going along. Everybody has spiritual boogers. Everybody has spiritual pepper in their teeth. Everybody has these spiritual price tags that we do everything we can to hide from each other. And that's the antithesis of what spiritual community looks like. We come to this place where we recognize, I've got tags, I've got boogers, I've got pepper, I've got all these blemishes. I've got a lot of things that, I've got a lot of stories to share that I'm, I'm uncomfortable sharing with others. But when I can break through that and do that, beautiful spiritual family, love can flow. I can be a bridge builder in this community in a beautiful way. We've all got this brokenness. We've all got this mess in us. And that's the kind of people that Jesus is interacting with in Matthew chapter 9. It's it's a. In fact, there's this beautiful contrast between the religious group, the Pharisees, and the way Jesus is responding to people who are a mess. Uh, Jesus, they got price tags. Are you paying attention? They don't fit in this mix. They're not perfect. They're a mess. They got pepper in their teeth. Are you even aware of that? Look with me in Matthew chapter 9 to see what we're talking about. The scriptures will be on the screen if you need it there. Matthew chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 9. It says, as Jesus... Went on from there, he'd been performing miracles with the disciples in the region. He saw a man called Matthew, sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to them, said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. A Couple things to notice right away in this first verse, who initiates the conversation? Jesus, Matthew's just doing his job. And you know what his job is? the most hated job in his society at that time. There is nobody that likes tax collectors. The Romans don't like the Jews. Matthew's a Jew and all they've done is hired him out to collect taxes. They don't like him anyway, but they're just taking his taxes. The Jews obviously don't like the tax collectors because the tax collectors are working on behalf of the Romans who are collecting taxes. Every time you catch a fish, tax. Every time you walk up a road, tax. Who likes that guy, right? And in addition to that, they just kind of relish in it. Nobody likes me, so I may as well do whatever I want to do. And they live decadent lifestyles, just immoral. Historians record that the the tax collectors of this day were just a mess. I mean, a dysfunctional mess. And they just lived as immoral as they could. They didn't really have any care. Why would they? So here comes Jesus initiating the conversation with a guy that not only has one price tag, he is a walking price tag. He is a mess. And nobody wants to be around him. And Jesus says, follow me, goes on, and, and it strikes the religious leaders. Look what it says in verse 10. Then it happened that as Jesus reclined at the table in the house of Matthew, we find in another gospel that this is at Matthew's house, this dinner is taking place, that many of the tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is it that your teacher is eating with tax collectors and sinners? Listen, you can't, we just can't understand how scandalous this would be at this time. The Pharisees had been taught from early childhood, every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law, every scruple of their, I mean, they just were so regimented in what it meant to follow the law. And one of them was you have absolutely nothing to do with sinners or anybody who was lesser than you in their commitment to the law, and clearly this gang was. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will be called the friend of sinners, thieves, prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. They loved following after him. Is he not aware of this? Um, Excuse me, your rabbi, does he not, what is he doing? And it's really not an inquisitive thing, it's more an accusatory question. Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus answers the question, he overhears what they're saying and he says this. Verse 12, Jesus heard this and said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. It's not those who got all their price tags hidden well and all their pepper out of their teeth and everything. It's those who have the blemishes. Those are the ones who I'm here for. Um, uh, but go, verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. It's a quote from Habakkuk. We'll talk in a moment on that. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I wouldn't chasten after those who have a self-righteous, I got this all figured out attitude. I'm chasing after those who understand that they are unrighteous. He quotes from Habakkuk where he's in Habakkuk 6.6 6, where I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That word mercy, it's a difficult translation here. It's really, there's, and it says compassion in some translations. Um, and it's, it's difficult for us to get a whole, our whole head wrapped around what that means because it's the Hebrew word hased, And it to me is probably the most significant Old Testament Hebrew word. It packs us so much punch. It's this fierce tenacious, loyal, long-suffering, suffering, merciful, compassionate love of God that He has for His people, this Hassed. He is crazy loyal in love with you. I desire that. Jesus tells the people who knew every letter of the law, almost a zinger, hey, what you need to do is kind of go back and learn what it means when it says, I desire mercy, I desire compassion more than I desire sacrifice. They got the sacrifice down, but all the while, while they were trying to tag everybody else around them as unqualified, Jesus says it's the posture of your heart that makes you unqualified. This is um, similar to what we were reading in Isaiah earlier, isn't it? The text that you think of when uh, Pete was reading from Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah becomes confronted face-to-face with who God is. And at the end of the text, we didn't get all the way into it, but it's Isaiah chapter 6, you can read it. It says, who am I? Uh, I'm sorry, God says, who shall I send and, and who will go on, and on behalf of my name? And, and Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God says, go ahead and do it. You can speak on my behalf. That's on the end of the passage. But where did the passage start? The passage starts with Isaiah saying, woe is me. I'm a person of unclean lips. I'm surrounded by people of unclean lips. In the NJV, the new Jeff version, it might say, I'm a mess. And I'm surrounded by people who are a mess. And you are the Holy God. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happens in the next couple verses is beautiful. We read it earlier. What happens is, is the angel touches his lips with a coal and He says, you have now been forgiven. Stop, go back. Wait a second. What has Isaiah done to this point? Has Isaiah gone through a 12 step program? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Those are great programs. Has he gone through Bible studies? Has he joined new classes? Has he gone to seminary? No, all Isaiah has done is has said, I'm a mess, we're all a mess, but you are holy. And God looks on Isaiah and says, that makes you qualified to speak on my behalf. You can be a bridge builder. You can be a beacon of love to the world around you. That's the story of Isaiah. And the Pharisees in Matthew chapter nine, They didn't get this at all. But these uneducated, unsophisticated first century disciples, they did. They fully understood that the gospel of Jesus, a postured heart of receiving His grace, it's the heart posture, that's what qualifies us. Jesus says it's not the, I'm sorry, it's not the healthy but the sick who need a doctor, right? Think about this, when was the last time you went to the doctor? Can you think back, has it been weeks, months, years? Can you kind of? No matter what your answer is, the last time you went to the doctor is when you were sick. Or when you were really sick and you needed a doctor. I don't have any plans. I feel like I should knock on wood on this. I don't have any plans to go to the doctor this week because right now I'm not feeling sick. The only reason I would go to the doctor is if I do feel sick. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? The heart posture of that individual is a heart posture of reception. They recognize their need for me. The Pharisees didn't too busy accusing and disqualifying everybody else. And Jesus says those who are sick realize they need a doctor and they look for true health. Those who are unrighteous realize that they need a savior and they look for true righteousness. It's that heart posture that qualifies us. And the good news of the gospel is it's available to anyone and everyone, including the messiest of us. There was a 17th century preacher, Scottish preacher by the name of John Brown of Haddington, John Brown of Haddington, well loved, long ministry and a lengthy uh, lengthy, uh, spot into his ministry He was asked, talk about the gospel, who is the gospel really for Pastor John? And he thought about it and he said, I have been comforted for more than 20 years by the thought that Jesus welcomes not only sensible sinners, but also stupid ones as well. It's not only the sensible, got it all together ones that can come to Jesus, no it's really the stupid ones among us, thank you God, that can be recipients of His grace. It's all about that heart posture. See we don't, the good news, we don't have to prove ourselves. Jesus doesn't look for that, He doesn't look for it in Isaiah, He doesn't look for it in the first century believers, and in our lives we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to appear like we have it all together. We can break through those barriers, it's not your abilities or your accomplishments that make you qualified to be a part of the mission of Jesus, to be a part of this beautiful family of God. It's the transforming gospel of Jesus that makes us qualified. We had a funeral um, this past Wednesday here, uh, actually in the Hub. Gentleman named Mark Thornton uh, served, you probably wouldn't know who he was, but every uh, Every Sunday night he would serve at that set of doors right there on our congregational services team for years. And uh, his service was in here, and uh, family was doing what family does, just speaking on behalf of the family, behalf of friends, telling stories and tidbits about Mark's life. And his brother-in-law got up and and began to speak. And he did what we all do when we go to funerals. We speak well on behalf of the one has passed, which is so good. We try to, what is the beauty of their life? What is the things that we want to celebrate and perpetuate and remember? And so we say, hey, can I I tell you about Mark? Mark loved his mom. Oh man, you get talking to Mark and it wasn't too long before he talked about his mom and his love for his mom. Can not tell you something else about Mark? Mark loved his church. He loved Jesus and he loved serving this church week after week. He talked about it all the time with us. We're all nodding, yeah, yeah. And then he makes this shift and he says, can I tell you something else, can I get real with you? Tell you something else about Mark? Most days Mark was a dysfunctional mess. Well, he had all of our attention at that point. Most days Mark was always struggling with these habits and these addictions and these things that would just weigh him down. I mean, he was just a dysfunctional mess. He'd come and serve faithfully, but he went through all these things all the time, and and we all know it. And then I love, this was his brother-in-law, I love what he did. He picked up his Bible, he said, but here's the good news. Pick up this book, and cover to cover, all you will find is dysfunctional mess after dysfunctional mess, but the love of God crashes in and changes that. That, my friends, is a clear, beautiful presentation of the gospel of Jesus Mark, with his dysfunctional mess and all, because of his heart posture to Jesus, he is fully qualified to share his love, to live in that love, and to speak his name to this world around us. Me, with all my hidden price tags and full dysfunction that I can be some days, because of the heart posture that I have, because of the heart posture you have, we can be seen as qualified when we are sons and daughters of Jesus. There is um, there's a blogger by the name of Preston Sprinkle, Christian blogger. He writes for Relevant Magazine often too and he said this, you cannot sanitize grace. You can't stuff it into a blue blazer and make it wear khakis. No, grace is messy. Grace is offensive and in, sometimes it even misses church. To expect God to pump these prefabricated plastic moral people out of some religious factory, is really to neuter grace and chain it inside some type of a gated community. If God's scandalous relationship with the 12 disciples means anything, it tells us that God meets us in our mess and pushes holiness out to the other side. Isn't that beautiful? The first century disciples, they knew this. God met them in their mess, and through that they received grace, they became qualified, and they became holy and righteous in His eyes. And speak of it all over the the New Testament. Paul reminded the church of Ephesus when he says in Ephesians chapter 4, but God being rich in His mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, we weren't going through all the training and the programs and the qualifying hoops, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive with Christ Jesus, and He goes beyond that and He he sets us up, raises us up. But God being rich, uh, is the next slide on there? If not, let me, I got it here. Uh, He raises us up with Him and seats us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only does He take us from our place of death when we're just buried and saturated in sin. He qualifies us because of our heart posture. It's His holiness, it's His righteousness that He puts into us, and He takes us, and He sets us up to be part of the mission with Him, to be part of the family with Him. The New Testament believers lived in this and relished this, and it was a beautiful thing because they kept recognizing and experiencing that the gospel of Jesus was a gospel of transformation. It was a gospel of hope and it was a gospel of qualifying people to be part of the family of God. A lot of us will wrestle with this gap. This gap between my calling and my failures or or my weaknesses. This gap between who I I am and, and all the blemishes and the hidden tags and who God says that I am. But the beautiful thing about the Gospels is we see that God loves to, he delights to work through our weaknesses, and he gives us the power and the strength to accomplish, to be the bridge builder, to be the love bearer that he has called us to be. In 1 Peter 1, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, it says, his divine power is what has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness, that through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, we can live according to his plans because of the power that He lives or that He puts within us. It's this posture of our heart, friends, our posture of our heart towards the grace of God that makes us qualified. And so let me ask this question. God has a calling on our life. He wants us to be bridge builders. God has this desire for our lives to break through things and to be part of the spiritual family together so that we can effectively be bridge builders. What is it that holds you back? What are these barriers that keep you from experiencing all that God wants you to experience? Because there are barriers. I think we sometimes have this head knowledge. We understand, I know what God calls me to do. I know what He wants me to experience. What is it that keeps me from experiencing that? There's there's some really valid barriers like fear or past failures, or I've tried this before and I, I was betrayed. Or sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's just life management or apathy. There's there's all these barriers that can stand in the way. What is the barrier that keeps you from it? Because here's the the key principle. It isn't about uh, being qualified. I've already said your heart posture, if you were a follower of Jesus, that makes you qualified. It's His grace that makes you qualified. It's not about being worthy. I say this in love, It's, it's about being willing. For many of us, worthiness is not the issue, it's willingness. Am I willing to break through those barriers? Am I willing to take those steps of faith to experience this love community, this faith community, this bridge-building enterprise effort that the church uh, spiritual families were supposed to be together? There's There's a festival beginning to take place this week, I think it is, in fact, out in Nevada called the Burning Man Festival. Some of you have certainly heard of it. It's one of those anything goes kind of festivals out in the middle of the desert. Just you think it up, you dream it up, decadence everywhere. But there's also some interesting things that come out. of there. there's these beautiful art pieces, confusing abstract art pieces sometimes. And from the festival last year, I saw a picture online that I saw that just, just intrigued me and it captured me, we'll throw it on the screen here for you. Somebody created this image where Where two people have whatever the barriers are that are keeping them from each other, but there's this ache inside of them. I said it earlier, there's this ache that we're seeing for community or this joy that people are finding in community. And I love how this captures it. It Whatever the barriers are, fear, failures, um, my pride, my my self-doubt, whatever the hanging tag thing that I don't want anybody to know, I just know I'm just not there's something inside each of us that aches for community. Listen to that, because that's what God has wired you for. That's what God desires for you. In fact, if you ever are going to be this beautiful bridge builder in this community, you have to experience love in a spiritual community first. We don't have the capacity to give away what we don't have. Kind of think of it this way, if I wanted to give you a million dollars, I knew of a need that you have, and I, needed, I wanted to give you a million dollars, I can't give that to you until I have it, right? I can't give away love to this world around me until I've received love. I can't give away grace and compassion and acceptance to this community until I'm receiving that grace and compassion and acceptance in a spiritual community myself. So what is it? What are these barriers that are keeping you from leaning in and experiencing what God wants you to experience in a beautiful way? Spiritual family is messy. You know why it's messy? Because everybody in that spiritual family has pepper in their teeth, and boogers in their nose, and price tags they're trying to hide, and a whole lot worse. But spiritual family is beautiful. Because everybody in that group is saying, I got pepper in my teeth, I got boogers in my nose, I got price tags I'm trying to hide And you do too, and all of our flaws, we can love each other through them And the world around, Jesus says in John 13 that by this all men will know you are my disciples Because of the way you love each other They'll recognize, we saw this in Jesus This love, this acceptance in spite of all the brokenness and flaws You look just like Jesus And that's the way the world around us will experience that love as well.